My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. Um, and I, I know I've said this before, we do have the longest name in Columbia Heights. And recently, I met someone out in the wild, in town, and I, they asked, I, we were talking about church, and I said where we went, and they went, oh, the church with the long name. I was like, oh, nice. I don't know why that's our name, why we're known for that, but thanks. Um, I'm excited uh, today. We're hopping back into the book of Romans, uh, but I asked you a question, and I'm um, excited to hear uh, after the service maybe some of these movies. I started thinking about what movies make me cry. I tend to cry uh, in most movies. Uh, moments I don't know why even sometimes I'm crying. I'm just weeping. A lot of kids' movies make me cry a lot. Um, and so I actually looked it up. And of course, people have made many, many lists of movies that make you cry. And so I looked up the top, Rotten Tomatoes had the top 100 movies that make you cry. And I just kind of scrolled through. I even got teary, like thinking about movies. I just saw pictures of movies and it made me sad. So I'll just share, here's some of the ones that for sure make me cry in my life. Maybe there's, I'm sure there's different ones for you, but this is one of the first ones that came up and I forgot that I cried during Forrest Gump, but I cry for sure. When Jenny dies, sorry, spoiler. I feel so sad for him. I'm a little, I gotta be careful. I'm gonna get emotional. Forrest Gump makes me cry. All sorts of movies. Have you guys ever seen this movie? Oh, heartbreaking, inspiring. I'm crying because I'm sad and then I'm crying because I'm in- encouraged. All sorts of reasons why you might weep during a movie. This one I've been told people cry during. I myself don't love this movie, but I could see why people might cry. It seems like people fall in love and they probably cry. Those might even be tears in the picture here. I don't know what's... What's going on with the crying? This movie makes me like I can't function at a point. Anyone seen Mr. Holland's Opus? Oh my goodness, at the end when everyone's there. That's a tough one for me. Um, love it, but I just weep. Maybe as a band kid, I'm extra sensitive to that. Um, the Lion King was high on many people's lists for movies that make you cry. Anyone else? Lion King cry? I saw a couple of heads nod. It's okay to cry at a cartoon lion movie. Uh, love it. Couple more here. We just rewatched this at our house. I think I cried six times during that movie. I missed parts of it. There's so many good parts of that movie. I'm so excited for them. I'm crying and then I'm so sad for what's happening. Oh, so good. This movie made me cry a lot. Anyone seen the movie Onward? It's a movie about um, brothers who are trying to find a magic spell that will bring their dad back for one day. They essentially just want like to see their dad for one more day and like know he loves them and is proud of them. So for a, a grown man, that like right, is kind of right to my heart because I still am kind of a sad, scared boy sometimes. I just want my dad to say he loves me. And so I'm watching it. I'm like, the girls are like, why is this sad? <laughs> yeah, this is his grandpa and me, and I love him. <laughs> Good movie, though. Check it out. Uh, Les Mis is one. I think I know people here. I've talked to people here in our church. who This one just brings the tears. So many magical uh, moments. This is one um, that maybe for a different reason, right? There's kind of different reasons you might cry during a movie. This is one that our family uh, watched uh, not long after it came out. We watched this with some, some family members, and there were some tears. And after the movie, we were talking about it like, wow, that really brought a lot of um, emotion in the story of, of MLK and, and seeing that kind of play out. And some of the people we're talking to in the room are family members, and they like lived during that time. And they were crying. They were so. Uh, sad about what was happening. They were so like inspired by, by the work. And for some of them, they were like, felt the pain of like, I lived during that and I didn't really necessarily even know that was happening. Like there was some 
lament over these terrible things that were happening right, right in their country, and they were kind of unaware of it. So it's like all these different emotions, right, that even come and may, might make you cry. I was looking at the top 100 movies that make you cry um, and hoping that one of them had like a good transition to the book of Romans, and there wasn't. But I did find a movie about Paul the Apostle <laughs> that went straight to DVD. And I would guess you'd cry for some reason watching this, whether it's sad or just it's painful. But uh, today we are moving into the book of uh, Romans. Again, we've been through eight chapters of Romans. We're going to quick uh, look at those again just to remind ourselves where we're at. We're starting chapter 9. And actually chapter 9 starts with the Apostle Paul kind of weeping over, sad, I mean, he's in anguish, sad, over his people, over his, uh, the Jewish people, his like family and the people, his ethnicity, his people that he came from. He cries over them. And that's really, today we're just going to stop as we start 9, as we get back into Romans remember and see why would Paul be this broken up? Why would he be weepy over a people group? So yeah, we're going to hop back into Romans. Um, excited for this. We are going to finish this this year in June. And so we're at the last um, part of Romans here. We're doing this in four different parts and we finished the first two and now we're to the second half here as we head into Romans uh, 9 and so we're going to set in the next section here, Romans 9 through 11. We hit the first part, the good news, where we um, learned about this power of the gospel, uh, this great, great news for people who are broken and sinful, who are like the wrath of God is coming after us, and that this Jesus, this incredible God, steps in the way and takes that wrath. And then we looked at what does it look like to live, uh, and, and not always just practically, but like just that it looks like now to be people who have been changed, and the Spirit has come and now motivates us, now encourages us, now changes how we live our days. And so now we are moving into uh, nine here. Uh, very excited for this. Uh, there are some resources for Romans. On the app, we have a tab at the bottom. This is resources, all sorts of stuff that over the years has been created at Hope, from articles, the devotionals, studies, uh, our messages, our music, but also there's a Romans podcast that our senior pastor, Steve, has created from his many years of studying Romans uh, which is really great. It's just a short, like maybe half an hour each episode. He walks through these same uh, segments. So if you're interested in learning more, we also have, um, I think we still have some scripture journals. Yeah? Someone knows. Sure. So if you see any of these out at the communion tables, they're for you. Uh, they're just the book of Romans with some space to take notes so we can do this together. Um, let me hop right in here. We're going to quick take a little ride through the first eight chapters to remind us so that we remember like nine isn't just out of nowhere. It's actually been building to this place. Um, and so Romans starts, there's a letter from a guy named Paul, uh, and he sends it to the people of Rome, to the church in Rome. And if you remember way back as we started this, we picture them as this church that's gathered in this city uh, with people all around them that, that don't have the same worldview as them, that aren't looking to Jesus for their hope, and he's trying to encourage them. He's also trying to give them some, some framework to what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus and how important is this. He's giving it to a group of people who might be Jews and Gentiles, meaning Jewish people and Gentiles, just not Jewish people. This be people who normally wouldn't especially religiously hang out together. Uh, these are people who might have even like hurt one another, even grew up with hating one another. And he's saying, now the gospel's brought you together. What does it look like to be together. And this is kind of the thesis statement of the book of Romans. This is right in the beginning of Romans when it tells us like this is essentially what this book as we go through is going to continue to remind us and unpack what it looks like. 
He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The foundation is that Christ has come and rescued us, and if we believe in the work he's done, then we are saved. And we're not saved because we did something. We're made righteous because of our faith. And he really wants people to understand this as all around them uh, is religion that's telling them you have to do things so that the gods will do things. And he's saying, we actually don't think this is how the world works. It's actually a God who has done things, and we respond to that. Um, it's really, really important. This idea, this idea of the gospel, this grace is the foundation, and then he's going to unpack how that changes everything throughout the book. I actually had an experience of this very recently. I got a text that said, congrats on winning the league. Um, I won my fantasy league, one of them this year. Big deal for me. Please don't, please don't applaud. I didn't, do it. I didn't do anything. This is why I'm telling stories. <laughs> I joined a fantasy league with some friends, which I, was very fun to do. And I joined it because uh, the friends said, hey, we're doing this league where you just draft your players in the beginning, and then through the whole season, you'll get points for your players, and it'll automatically put players in. You can just draft it and then just leave it. You don't have to touch anything. You don't have to do anything, and we'll see what happens. And I didn't really realize I won until I got a text that said you've won. And so many months ago, before the football season started, I said, I'd love to join the league. I can't be at the draft, the day where everyone meets and like picks players from the teams. So they said, no problem. The computer will automatically draft for you. So I said, yes. And I set up an account. I essentially said, I'm in. Yes, I believe I'm in. And, and then on some night, I think the computer drafted a team for me. And then throughout the season, that same sweet computer put players in for me. And then a few weeks ago, I got an email that said, congratulations, you won the league. And the next text said, where would you like your gift card from? I want a gift card. I didn't do anything. I literally did nothing. I, I remember the feeling was like overwhelming. I thought, how cool is this? I got to figure out how to do this more often. Get in the leagues and let computers pick for me. Uh, I, was, I had a moment where I wasn't scared of AI anymore, and I was thrilled about this. This, this, is, this is essentially what Paul, like in an even sweeter, greater, grander, forever, eternal kind of way, he's saying, you've been given this, you got a text that said, congratulations, you won the league, where would you like your gift card from? And you went, what? And you have to say, yes, and then say, Taco Bell, right? And then it's, and then you get it, you have it. And so it's, so this is the gift that Paul wants us to understand, that we, we work and work and we try to set up all these systems and ways to gain favor with God and to find peace within ourselves and a purpose and a mission. And he says, the gospel is really good news because that's not what it is. It's that you have won the league and you say yes to joining. It, it's incredible that Christ has given us this gift. And so he goes through these first, first cha uh, chapters, these eight chapters, and he lays it out. Now, here's a really quick summary, right? I'm just going to just roll through these. This is some of the incredible things that he says come with this power of this gospel, this good news as you click on it and realize that as you get deep into it, you go, oh my goodness, look at how good this is. It says that we are loved by God and called to be saints, that all of us were under sin and we deserved wrath, but God didn't leave us there. We're blessed uh, our lawless deeds were forgiven. Our sins were covered by this good news of Christ's death and resurrection. God does not count sins against us. That's good news. Holy cow, that's good news. 
that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification, that we deserved death for our sin, and instead Jesus came, right? He covered them up. We're forgiven. We're justified by faith that works. That, that means we turn to Jesus. We say yes to him, and that is what makes us right, not because we did a bunch of stuff so God said, okay, now I'll let you in. We didn't do anything. We have peace with God. I mean, days I just want peace a little bit, and the gospel says we have peace. We have access to grace. Grace is this gift, right, that we're given. We didn't do anything for it. We get to rejoice in hope. We get to rejoice in a future. We hear in 5.2 that we have a future. We're able to rejoice in suffering. Our suffering is not wasted. That's good news to hear. God pours uh, poured into our hearts. God is that personal. He's right with us. He fills us. He encourages us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. We hear that Christ dies for us, shows his love for us, even while we were sinners, even while we were enemies of his, he does this for us. That we're united with God, that we're no longer enslaved, but free from the power of sin. Sin doesn't have to rule our lives. That we're brought from life to death, that we can bear fruit now. Just being saved would be great. If God just said, I'm going to rescue you, now just sit here and don't do anything until I make everything right. He says, actually, I'm going to make you a person who brings good things to others, who brings life and hope to others. We get to serve in the Spirit. There's no condemnation, exclamation point. And we get to call God Abba. We're adopted as his children. And as his children, we are known and we are called and we're justified and we are glorified by God. In the end of Romans 8, crescendos into this. Do you understand the Holy Spirit has come? This incredible gift. The love of Christ is so powerful that you can't be separated. In the message version uh, of the Bible, Eugene Peterson says, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. That is incredible news. Paul tells us there is nothing that can hold, hold us back from the love of our Father. I remember during Christmas, I just felt that moment where you get to held by a grandparent or your own parent. There's that like moment of, of peace and security and safety in that, that you go like, oh, okay, it's okay. There's a moment as a child that you're hurt and you run to your parent, it's not necessarily because they are going to fix you. It's because you just want to be with that parent to hold you. You can say, Abba, Father, uh, I'm broken. And he says, I love you. I can fix that. And that's where we're at, this crescendo, this moment where we are reminded by this great love of Christ who has rescued us. And then we move right into Romans 9. And so Romans 9 isn't a change it can feel. At times, sometimes people even think maybe this is like a side, like Paul maybe even wrote another letter and he decided to like put it in the middle. This very much flows right into it. Paul now says, this is such incredible news. And in the same moment, Paul feels a, a, a deep hurt for those who, don't ha who aren't holding on to this, who have said no to it. I understand that in the moment I could say, this is so good, I might have the same. And the other side of my head, I might think, oh, I wish this person was here with us for this. I think that's where Paul is as we move into it. So we're moving into a section here in Romans. Uh, we're calling, Did God's Plan Fail? That we're looking at really this whole story of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Is this like a, um, is this Jesus thing? Like a backup plan? Is it a, God had to abandon his first plan? 
with the Jewish people. What's up with that? Because they have all these things in their history being God's blessed people and his chosen people. And what's the deal? They just drop the ball and he's like, okay, I'll just come and Jesus will be the new thing. Or is it really a continuation of this story that these people got to carry on? And that's that's what I think it is. That's what uh, Romans 9 through 11 seems to tell us. And so we're going to look at, uh, it's a great opportunity to look at how does this whole Bible lead us towards this same worship. And I think Paul has this, this love for his people uh, that he so wants them to know this. So real quick, let me just read Romans 9, 1 through 5. This is our passage for today. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So Paul starts here. He first just wants us to know, uh, I'm speaking... What I want to share now is truthful, and what I have been sharing is truthful. I'm not lying. This is what I sincerely think that God has put on my heart and given me. This isn't just out of, uh, you can imagine all the time, all the way Paul has had to think about this and process this and talk to people, and, and through all that, I'm sure this is right. I'm sure the Holy Spirit has blessed me and is a witness to this that I'm about to say, and what I have been saying is true. And because of that, I have this great sorrow. And he shares this verse, which I, I, think, I think if you maybe were reading this in that church, you might uh, have been looking around maybe while you're reading Romans and going, and you hear like, it's by faith, not works. And you, some people might have like given a little side eye to the guy who still thinks he has to work for his salvation. <laughs> there might be kind of this like a uh, little bit conflict or even like polarizing views in that church. And I think I would feel at least like I would look to Paul and go, and Paul's going to give it to them now. He's going to say, you're so silly. What are you doing? And instead he shows this really pastoral, this real shepherd, this heart of like, I'm broken over these people. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He, he hurts for them. He cries out for them, some translations say. He's so sad that these people, which we learn, right, are his, his, like, his ethnicity, Paul, if you remember, is, was like a, a great Jewish man, a great leader. In fact, to the point, he was one of the ones persecuting and even killing Christians. I'm sure he rose up in the ranks and people thought, man, Paul's going to be like a big deal within the Jewish community, within the religious community. Paul loves these people and knows them well and knows how they think and, and how they feel. These are like family members, cousins. These are his, his people, and he could, in this moment, he could say, well, I used to be that, and I persecuted those people, those Christians. They were silly and so dangerous that we actually like hurt them and killed them and arrested them. And then God changed my heart, and so now I'm one of the Christians. And he could just, I think, like it happens with us, he just switches to a different perspective, and now he just he does the same thing, though, right? The pattern, the behavior is the same. Now he just picks new people to kind of hate. New people that we should persecute. New people that are silly and dumb that don't deserve it. Instead, we see a Paul who, instead of just continuing to be Paul the persecutor, now becomes Paul 
the compassionate, deeply caring for these people. Be helpful here to even clarify. Here we hear, like in four here, we're going to get to, talks about the Israelites. When we talk about Israel in chapters 9 through 11, we're, we're not talking about like if, you, if you're listening to the news or you're seeing around the world now, we're hearing the word Israel. Often we're not talking about like the, the country of Israel. Right now we're talking about this word defining this people group, this race, this ethnicity of Jewish people. And sometimes actually in the book of Romans, it's, it's talking about like the nation of Israel. Sometimes it's just talking about people of Jewish heritage. Sometimes Israel actually is referring to like the true Israel uh, that we see in, in Christ. We'll kind of try to clarify that as we go. But here, this, he's just saying these people who come from my people would be like me weeping over Swedes. I love those Swedes, right? Him, it's such a deep-rooted thing that he just is sad to see these people not turning. So sad that he makes a statement. I, we don't think like he's actually saying, I wish I didn't follow Jesus, or I wish I was... He's saying this like a, in a way you'd say, uh, like I could just die from this. He's saying, I wish I could somehow be cut off from Christ so that they could be in Christ. I wish I could be cursed so that my brothers and sisters could be in Christ. That's how serious this is. The greatest gift I have I would give up so that they could know this good news. It's pretty incredible here that he's willing to do this. It's pretty incredible that he uh, feels this way. Um, this is a passage that's helpful, I think, historically. Um, Romans is a book sometimes that's been used for people to stir up hatred towards Jewish people. It's a book actually that was used um, like in Germany. Uh, Nazis use it to talk about how the Jewish people are bad. And even the Bible says Jewish people are bad, so we should eliminate them. And here we see a man, Paul, who could here say these people are terrible. And instead he says, my heart's broken. I so want them to know the Lord. I love them so dearly. So it's a clear, it's a passage that says that's not how Paul felt about. It's not how God feels about these people. And we know even in the book of Romans already, it says we all have fallen. We've all broken. We all need Jesus. That's the big, the big message of Romans. And he's saying, I just so want these people to know him. Them. Um, and so he's, he's uh, going to say this next thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, our friend here, uh, Dr. Adiemo, says, uh, Paul identifies himself with his own ethnic group, the Jews, referring to them as my brothers, an expression of his deep sorrow over, over their condition. The sins of our own ethnic group should drive us to tears before God. That just feels like a very emotional, very strong statement. Do the sins of people, uh, have they driven you to tears? Do the sins, the brokenness of family members, bring you to tears? Uh, does the fact that people you know don't know Jesus bring you to tears? Um, uh, for myself, at times, I'm, it's very easy to say, those people fill in the blank, right? I, it's harder sometimes to say, those are my people, right? And I'm not even saying like an ethnic group, right? I'm just saying it's really easy, and I think we are kind of encouraged almost culturally in that especially as we start, right, officially the election season started. Wasn't that fun news? I saw that one day in my news feed, big letters. Oh, that's fun. That made me uh, feel really good today. 
to hear that. Ooh, we got to spend some time in Iowa and Iowa gets like to start early. So every commercial is like a political ad about how someone else like eats babies and how terrible they are. And we have to like explain to our kids like, those aren't necessarily true. <laughs> like how you explain to a kid, they're like, that person seems terrible. Oh, and then that one too. And then that one too. Like all that, right? That is telling us you should pick those people and talk about how bad they are. And here Paul is saying, look at my people. Look at my, my people around me, these people I love. Oh, I'm heartbroken they don't know this. Now, they're so silly. Oh, they just understood the facts. But instead, I'm heartbroken over that. And then he says, I'm so heartbroken because of all the people, these people should know this. They're the Israelites. They're the ones that God came to to bring this good news. They're the ones who have the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the worship, and the promises, and the patriarchs. They're the ones that Christ came through. Their people are the ones who brought Jesus. He was born into a Jewish family. So he just goes through this. He, in one or two verses here, he pretty much explains the history of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Real quick, so we understand how we're at. He says, these are the Israelites. They belong to the adoptions. This is a reference to Exodus 4, 22, where it says these are this, uh, uh, they're adopted as sons. He says that they're called the adopted people. And then he says, the glory. These are the people of the divine glory. In reference to this word that's used here, that's the same use that's word in the old, the same word that's used in the Old Testament, where it's God's uh, like visible glory. They call it the Shekinah glory. Anyone ever heard that phrase? I remember being at a service once and people were yelling out, Shekinah glory, and I had no idea what's going on. But I just yelled it because that's what you do. Uh, well, it actually is a word that means the, the divine glory, the visible glory. It's the word that's used to, to illustrate, um, to show manifestations, God's actual presence, his glory in the midst of people, whether it's in the tabernacle or the temple. It was the word that was used to describe like the um, pillars of fire and of clouds in the Exodus story. Those were Shekinah glory. Those were like God's glory was like seen. So do you hear the people of like seeing that glory? You're the people who are adopted. You're the people of the covenants. This refers to God's covenants, these relationships he made with his people, uh, whether it's Abraham or Moses or David. All these covenants where he said, these are my people, I'm not leaving them. I'm with you. Whether you sin against me and walk away from me, I'm not leaving you, I'm with you. He creates these incredible relationships where God never leaves his people. You're the people of the covenants. You're the people who are given the law, referring to the Ten Commandments and even all the laws that God gave that we see um, given to him in Deuteronomy. You had the law and you were adopted and you had the covenants with your people and you had the Shekinah glory shown to you. You're the people who were given the temple worship. You were shown what it looks like to stand before God. You were given the instruction of what it looks like to sacrifice so you could see a picture of what death looks like when you sin. Your priests led these things for your people. You were the people of the promises. So many prophecies and promises given to you throughout all of the Old Testament. He says, you're the people who God came to and said, I'm going to bring one who's going to rescue you. He's going to be born in Bethlehem and he's going to rescue his people and set them free. You're the people who belong to the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Samuel and David, you have these 
great leaders who you all are part of, who are your people, who God used and spoke through. And your people are the ones who brought the Messiah. Christ's human ancestry is traced through your people. He even came through your people and still his heart's broken because you still aren't turning to him. In all these things, you haven't turned to him. This Jesus, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. This is one of the spots in Scripture where um, like Paul calls Jesus God. Uh, there's, there's spots where Jesus calls himself God. This is the most cool place where you go. He's the Christ. He's God. That, that might be something sometimes you've felt or heard or discussed with someone. They say, well, God... It never says in Scripture that Jesus is God. It actually says a bunch of times, and this is one of those cool spots where he says, and Christ who came in your people, the one who is God, who is blessed forever. This should change everything. But it hasn't. I don't, I don't see you. And in fact, when he wrote this letter, they thought that most of the church, uh, a higher percent of the church were Gentiles, weren't Jewish people. It's got to break his heart. He's saying, I would think our people would be the first ones. It's so hard for them. It's so hard to, to take all that in. I'm sure as a person, as a Jewish person, it was hard to take all that in and not go like, are you sure? I don't, it seems like we've created this system where we do all these things and then God's happy with us. I really like that we're like chosen and they aren't and that we get to be special and they aren't. It reminds me, um, recently I was watching football with some friends and we had this moment happen where they show like the graphic of the next games in the playoffs uh, and this was the graphic, like when they just were like, here's the teams who are playing the wild card games and whatever games. Uh, and there's no picture of the Vikings on there. And he felt, and he felt I mean, sad. And he goes, oh, someone's got to recalculate. I, I don't think this is right. I said, well, I'm sure they wouldn't post a graphic on Fox Sports if it wasn't like true. And he's like, I don't, someone needs to recalculate. There's like part of you that goes, I... I see it all, but it's, there's got to be a different answer here. I, we've seen all this history and adoption and uh, the temple worship and this patriarch, all these people pointing to this one who would come and then he comes and he fulfills all those things. There's got to be something else going on here. It's just hard. It's hard, right? It's hard your team didn't make it in the playoffs. It's hard to say. It's hard to say maybe Jesus is the one who we've been waiting for. Maybe he is the one. And so I want to be someone who weeps over those around me who don't believe, those who I see walking towards death or those who I see even just continue to struggle with finding peace and love and care and knowing part of a family and knowing that, that there's love that's inseparable that, that cares for them. I want to grow in compassion. I want to be Drew, less of Drew the persecutor and more Drew the compassionate. I think if we left today and we went, okay, then Paul just says, go do that then. Go weep for those people and be kind. Uh, I think we'd miss something here because this passage very much points us to how Paul is changed. If you know any of Paul's story, Paul was on his way to persecute more people and Jesus just interrupted him and blinded him and changed him forever. And so I think this last thing that Paul says in a sense, is him again uh, reminding all of us of the thing that will change all of this. The Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen.
So I want you to take a moment to walk back through this and be reminded of the one who changes us to be this person. People who are uh, I'm no longer Drew <laughs> the persecutor, but changed to being Drew the compassionate in my own heart. As we move into a section here of Romans, uh, I want us to, to read it and see it as Paul's heart for these people. So what changes us? I think it's reading this differently. Figuring out that it's not just being better or kinder, but it's a real change. It's just an encounter with the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever and ever. Let's quick just go through these again. These are the Israelites who belong to the adoption. We actually hear the same language about adoption from Exodus 4. We hear it again throughout Scripture as us being adopted through the work of Christ. That Christ was that God was preparing Israel so that Christ could come and adopt us. Even we hear in Mark 14, us uh, us calling God Abba. And again in Romans, we hear we get to call God Father, this intimate Father, Daddy. What about the divine glory? The divine glory was a picture for God's people, this Shekinah glory, this manifestation of God in their presence doing miraculous things. It's just a picture of the greatest manifestation of Jesus, the greatest moment of God coming to people in the flesh, Jesus being the greater manifestation. The word in John, when we hear the word becomes flesh, made his dwelling place among them. We've seen his glory. It's like the same, some of the same phrasing we hear in the Old Testament. They say, it's the cloud appeared before us and we saw God's Shekinah glory. And it says, we've seen God himself come in the flesh and we've seen his glory. Jesus comes. Again, all those years, they go, oh, he's better than the cloud. He's better than the fire. He's the ultimate. The covenants that God has, brings, these relationships he's made with Abraham and Moses and David, relationships that we have broken in our disobedience and our turning away from God, relationships that come with promises of God blessing us in the ultimate way, the greatest way, he comes through Christ in blessing us. Christ's story is that of a God who will not leave us even when we run from him, keeping, our, keeping this covenant when we would not keep it. And a God who gives the law to the people who have seen the Ten Commandments and all the laws and the way God has called us to live, they finally see that play out as the true Israel, the true one has come and lives in the way God has, has called us. In fact, Jesus over and over as he's on earth says, hey, it says this in the law. This is actually what, this is what God means by that. You've twisted it to mean this other thing. This is actually what he's called it to. Again, they say what the law really looks like. That because of Christ, we've been adopted. We've seen the glory in him. He's kept the covenant for us. He has shown us what the law looks like. Worship now is not just us going to a place, a place that only the priest could enter into, but the moment Christ dies, the curtains tear, and now God's presence is everywhere, and we worship him everywhere. The atonement, the blood that had to be spilled by an animal, then was spilled by blood by Jesus, the ultimate lamb, made the ultimate sacrifice in worship. He's our sacrifice and our priest. He's the purity in our blood. He's the bread of life. All the parts of the worship service, he is now the picture of. If you read Hebrews 8, it just unpacks all that. Jesus is all of those things to, a, to the millionth degree. And the promises that they're given all fulfilled in this Jesus. Things that were spoken hundreds and hundreds of years before he came about where he would be, what he would do. All those things fulfilled in this one person. And Paul says, I would hope that you'd see these and go, he's the, the greatest of all these. 
It was all about him. It all led us to this moment. He's the one. He says, how could we not see this? All the patriarchs that we look to and in fact almost worship. I wish we could have a David again. I wish we could have a Moses. I wish Joseph was here. Even there's moments, Jesus, people see Jesus and they say, oh, he must be. And they say a patriarch instead of he must be the one. We look to these people and we see throughout scripture, these people are calling out to their people, hey, God's going to send the one who will rescue us. God's going to send the one. And again, he came in the flesh. Calling him Emmanuel, God with us has come to rescue us, to bear the weight of our sin. And so what has changed Paul? Why has Paul become a man who now weeps over, like pains him to see his people not know the Lord and to see this good news? What changes Paul uh, to that? What makes him this thing I... I googled uh, Saul to Paul and I found a drawing that a kid had made. It's about as good as we're going to get. I think that's angry Saul <laughs> to happy Paul. I love it. Right? It's not like a surprise. We say this all the time. Paul's tears aren't because he became a better follower of God or followed the rules right or found like the right, the right positioning of meditation or uh, a good rhythm in life. It's because something changed him. Right? This is actually my drawing of Jesus. No, Kid drew. Jesus, right? This is what changed him. He weeps over his people and their brokenness because he sees deathly people who are in need of life, sick people who are in need of a doctor, and he weeps over them. Not because just that Jesus changed them, but because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is in him, and we see the exact same thing happen as Jesus. Paul wants to be cursed, cut off from God so that people would know him, and our Jesus does that exact thing, a thing Paul can't do. If you see, uh, we see this in scripture multiple times. These just happen right after each other, actually. When Jesus hears about the death of his friend, and he experiences their family, and he runs uh, to them, and he sees them, and they come to him, and they say, our friend Lazarus had died. Uh, Look at Jesus' response. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He feels the, he feels the way to death. He sees death in his friend. And he's troubled. Right? There's anguish. These are the words Paul just used. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the short version, right? This tiny verse in the Bible that means so much. And then Jesus wept over death. I hate this. I hate that death has this power over my friend. Now we know in that story, Jesus then, the next thing he does is he weeps and then he goes and of all the people, the only person ever in all of history, he can command that Lazarus come out and he says, get out of there. And his friend Lazarus raises from the dead a sweet picture of his power. And right after this, Jesus goes as he enters into Jerusalem on his way, his kind of final days uh, moving towards the cross. And he weeps again, not, not just over death and his friend, but now over people, right? He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
I love this picture. This, uh, he gives us this picture, and someone thankfully paints this picture. But Jesus says, I want to gather you around like a mother hen gathers her chicks and protect you and care for you, bring life to you. And you said no. We see him weep multiple times over Jerusalem, over the people there, and say, I, I, I want you rescued, saved, and you said no. And then he says, essentially, when you put faith in me, again, you will be rescued. And so we see this moment. The reason Paul weeps over these people and even, even cries out he wishes he could get cut off is because he has been changed by the one who also weeps over us and actually has been cut off for you. Jesus does cut himself off from the Father and is cursed for us so that we could be with him so good. It's such good news. And now, this, as this great picture uh, illustrates, these are pictures of all the saints, right? Of all these patriarchs, of all these people, all coming out of their graves to gather around Jesus to say he is the one. Whether they're Jews or Gentiles, he is the one. And it's the same picture that we get to gather around, right? It's perfect. It's flawless. Photoshop. I I get to do the same thing. And I get to weep over those who don't know and pray that God would welcome them also in. This is why we're uh, doing these prayer kits. This is a step towards that. Maybe an opportunity for you here. I don't know what to do with this then. I have people who are very difficult to talk to about this. Or uh, I don't even know first step. First step is great to say, Lord, I, I'm asking that you would, like Paul, change hearts. That you'd bring people close. That you'd bring peace and care and heal. And so we created these uh, prayer kits. They're just stacks of cards that have different ways to pray for people. We have those on the communion tables. We'll have them out for the next few weeks. We'd love for you to grab one of those as a way just to together to pray. In a sense, weep over those around us and say, God, we're asking for you to heal and change uh, each other and, and our community around us. And so we can be people who are, are also, I think, in the same position that we see Jesus and Paul in, a position that uh, has been changed by the one who was cut off for us so that we could have life. Um, and that we want to see others in the same way. I'm going to invite our worship team up so we can continue this. This is one of the ways we do this, is we gather together and we sing songs so that we together can remind ourselves of this really good news um, of this Christ. There are many weeks that I uh, am singing words on the screen, and those words, like it's like they cut right to my heart um, and remind me of that good news. So I'm thankful for this, that they can lead us in this. A couple of things to consider as we move to a time of response here this morning. Um, we're going to have an opportunity to do a few different things, but just to be reflecting on this. Um, are you gathered around Jesus would be the first step. Um, have, you, have you seen, I think, in our own lives, right, we might see God has probably provided lots of things for us too that might point us to Jesus. And many times I feel like I can explain in a way like, well, that can't be God, it must not be and go, maybe that is actually where God's leading us. And so I encourage you, you gather around Jesus. It's an opportunity to commit to that. Maybe who is hardest to pray for, to weep over? Why? Consider when, when you think, I would, there's a lot of people I'll pray for, but that one is hard. Or, or those people are hard. Why is that? Maybe pray even ask God why that is, and if you change your heart, who weeps with you for others? Uh, this isn't a, a, a thing we do alone. It's a thing we do with others. So who are those who get to weep with you for others and pray for others and care for others? And maybe this week, who is one person you could pray for? Is there one that you'd say, hey, God, I, wanna, I just want to lift this person up over and over throughout the week that they would know you?
that they could be healed. That maybe it's just even someone in our own church. Maybe someone's just really having a hard time. Who, who could we pray for that they would know this good news? We're going to respond in other ways here. We're going to sing as our worship team leads us. We have communion out in the hallway. That's an opportunity to, to break a cracker and drink some juice. As the way Jesus commands us, he says, when you get together, I want you to remember what's happened here. That my body was broken, that my blood was shed so that you could have life. I was cut off, cursed, so that you could be brought into the family of God. And so we do that as a moment to remember that night when Jesus did that. So we'd love for you to do that. You don't have to be a member at Hope. Just we ask you're a believer um, that you believe this. So it means something to you. You can do that out in the hallways uh, whenever you feel uh, like you want to do that during the songs. Um, we also have an opportunity to pray. There's people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you for anything. Uh, you can even just ask them to pray, and they'll just pray. Uh, the Spirit will lead them. So love that. You can always give as a response to the gospel. Let me pray for us as we continue to worship here together, Lord. Um, oh, it's incredible that you have rescued us. And I pray that that power of the gospel would change our hearts and that we would be people who would weep uh, over the things you care about, the things you're broken over that we too would be broken over. And Lord, we pray for those uh, who don't know you, our friends and family and neighbors uh, that don't know that peace and that joy. Not because we want them to join our team, but because we want them to have life and joy and peace. We want them to know this goodness that comes from you. I pray that you would change hearts, that more people would know life in you. Thanks, Lord, that we get together and worship. I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.